Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, the last one of January and when it is February, that means we're that much closer to Selection Sunday and we can really start talking about the bubble. The B word is certainly used more appropriately in the month of February because we've got uh, pretty much most of the conferences have gone through, if not all, halfway through their season. Some of those other conferences are well past the halfway point because some of them end in late February. So it's our last podcast of the month of January as uh, we hit February this weekend. And on our podcast, I'll be joined by a couple of Hall of Fame head coaches, Michigan State's Tom Izzo. I was at the Minnesota-Michigan State game on Sunday and Syracuse head coach Jim Beheim. Also, we'll be joined by Fox Sports' Tim Brando, who's seen quite a bit over the last three-plus decades covering college basketball, worked at CBS, ESPN, Fox, uh, has worked with some of the greatest analysts in the game, uh, and has some good memories on the sport. Used to cover and call the NCAA tournament, also did some in studio. And we'll do our predictions on the back end of the podcast. And also, of course, Cats Ranks, my top 10 teams that right now teams do not want to face. And before we get to our headlines, um, I think it's important to acknowledge um, on these purposes, and obviously everyone has done an unbelievable job, I think, in all facets of the media, um, from my former employer at ESPN to every national network from CNN to ABC to uh, NBC, I mean, you name it the coverage of the unspeakable tragedy that occurred Sunday morning uh, with the death of basketball icon Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, uh, Gianna Bryant. Um, It's really unspeakable. And, you know, I think it's also important um, for us to acknowledge uh, because, you know, a lot of times when there's a celebrity death, you know, you don't get everyone else named uh, when they should be. And there were seven others on that helicopter. John Altabelli, who was a baseball coach at Orange Community College, his wife, Carrie Altabelli, their daughter, Alyssa Altabelli, uh, Christina Mauser, who uh, who was a uh, assistant basketball coach, Sarah Chester, uh, a mother to Peyton Chester, and then the pilot of the helicopter, uh, and I don't want to mispronounce his name. Uh, I, I could be wrong here, but uh, Era Zubayan. Um, just absolutely, absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and and look, I just want to say this, and we're going to talk to Jim Beheim, um at the back part of uh, the interview about Kobe Bryant, uh, that, you know, he, he transcended, obviously, basketball 
And I think what I saw Derek Fisher say in an interview with Good Morning America, I think is so critical, is that how much in his post-basketball playing life he was uh, you know, working toward equality, uh, obviously with his daughter's interest in basketball and really had taken a strong interest in women's basketball. Uh, Sabrina Onyesko uh, uh, from Oregon, uh, just in tears during the Civil War game between Oregon and Oregon State on Sunday because she had gotten close to him. Uh, Kobe obviously had had a, a tie-in with the UConn women's basketball program. Uh, Gianna wanted to play for the Huskies someday. Uh, so, you know, he really had really directed a lot of his interest into women's basketball, uh, both at the collegiate and, well, actually at the AAU grade school, middle school, high school level, college, NBA, uh, WNBA. Um, and so it really, it's, I mean, the tragedy is beyond even words of what occurred, the lives lost, the families affected, uh, but also from all of these people, all of uh, the nine of what they obviously could have achieved and done to help this world be a better place and to help others uh, in the years and decades to come. I will just say some behind the scenes here that, so I was doing the Michigan State Minnesota game Sunday and it's one of those surreal moments when you get news like this and you're about to go on national television. And we got word of this literally about four minutes before um, we were ready to come on. And, you know, we had to change our open, obviously, on Fox Sports. Um, Jimmy Jackson, who was our analyst, uh, played with Kobe Bryant for one season with the Lakers. Uh, he was shaken up. We obviously went to him to speak on the matter. So it was just, you know, un- unspeakable uh, when you have to deal with something like this, the magnitude, the weight of it right before you're about to go on. And uh, I thought our, our crew did a great job. I just want to give a little behind the scenes of what, what occurred in that moment. And now it's time for our college basketball headlines of the week. At number five, Kentucky gets the win on the road in overtime. Final seconds at Hinkle. McEwen lets it fly. Hit it. And we're going overtime. The Butler Bulldogs have survived. And Illinois has won six straight games. Unbelievable finish here in a place that's so tough to play in. All the talk about not having a elite, elite big-time star, or elite dominant teams, well, we've got drama, and that's what we want. That's all we want. The names on the front of the jersey, the drama, that's what we want, and we have it, okay? We had plenty of it. Think about this. The last week, last possession wins by Minnesota to Ohio State, Illinois at Michigan, Kentucky at Texas Tech, Oregon over USC in overtime, Butler over Marquette in overtime, Virginia Tech over North Carolina in overtime. That's what we want. And we're going to get it the rest of the season and in the NCAA tournament. Lock it in. At number four. 
The suspensions from the Big 12 just in. DeSosa gets a dozen. That will supersede the indefinite suspension from the school. David McCormick, his teammates, gets two. James Love of uh, K-State, eight. Gordon got three. Alan Griffin will miss the next two Illinois basketball games after getting ejected at Purdue. The Big Ten announced its punishment this afternoon, along with a public reprimand for violating the conference's sportsmanship policy. The Big 12 and the Big Ten handed down strong suspensions for the brawl between Kansas Kansas State and then that flagrant two foul by Illinois' Alan Griffin, respectively. The strongest, Sylvia D'Souza, got 12 games. Um, that was the strongest one, and it was warranted, raising that stool chair above his head. This is what we want to see. We want to see a conference. If the schools aren't going to do it, the conference has to come on with the heavy, and that's what happened, and it was within 24 hours. And, uh, you know, we could argue whether or not enough players were suspended in the brawl, two for Kansas, two for K-State, but they made the right decision. And with Griffin, he stomped on the chest, got the flagrant two, got ejected. And I know Brad Underwood from Illinois didn't agree with having two more games. But, um, and that happened in the Purdue game, so he sat out the Michigan game, he'll sit out one more. But it was the right move. So I applaud the Big 12 and the Big 10 for disciplining these players for what occurred. Number three. That's it. Maryland survives and wins. What a finish. Maryland, a preseason Final Four potential team, finally won a game on the road. They actually won two. Uh, I think that signals that the Terps are a Final Four contender after all. Strong second half by Jalen Stick-Smith in the second half to knock off Northwestern on the road and then exciting win over Indiana on Sunday. So Maryland winning on the road. It's a big deal. Number two. What a win for Illinois. Maybe the most, they've had some big wins, but maybe his biggest win. I think this legitimizes their win streak, helps them with the NCAA. Most importantly, puts them in first place. Illinois, which I was on the bandwagon from the beginning and whenever it was off, but they struggled early, and that's okay. They're now tied atop the Big Ten standings with Michigan State after two road wins at Purdue and at Michigan. The Illini are one of those schools that I'm telling you, they can get to Atlanta. I know it's crazy, but we're in a year where you could say maybe 20 teams, and Tom Izzo and I talked about that, 20 teams could get there. And you'll hear Jim Beheim on this topic. So Illinois is one of them. Look at the way they're playing. And Io DeSunu is playing some of the best basketball of his career. And yes, Jalen Smith, Io DeSunu, two sophomores. They're on my top 10 this week, and they're going to stay there. Top 10 sophomores. They weren't last week. They weren't playing as well. Well, you know what? After this week, they're on it. No question. And the number one headline of the week... Time for the best start in program history. Baylor is now 17-1. and In the second half, it was all Zags. And that is a new WCC conference record. It is 21 straight for San Diego State. A new school record. Baylor, Gonzaga, and San Diego State, three teams not projected to be number one seeds, are looking the part and have the data to back it up here toward the end of January. In our bracket last week, and we're going to have brackets over the next couple of weeks, those three schools definitely look in the part of being number one seeds. Baylor wins on the road at Florida. Gonzaga 
dominating the WCC, San Diego State dominating the Mountain West, looking very, very strong right now at this juncture in late January. And those are your five college basketball headlines for the week. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Tim Brando of Fox Sports and many other <laughs> networks over the last 30 years. And Tim, I've known you for a long time. Uh, let's reflect back, though, before we move forward and talk about the season real quick here. When you think back over the last three decades, okay, what have been some of your favorite sort of March Madness calls, either during the regular season oh, wow. Or during the postseason, just stuff that that sticks in your head when you think about college basketball. A lot of them involve Michigan State, which is uh, who we're, we've we've got at the time of this taping in in Minnesota. I had the uh, Corey Lucia shot when Draymond Green almost got or nailed by a Delvon Rowe pass uh, to get Michigan State to the Sweet Sixteen when they beat Maryland after Gravis Vasquez had hit a running one-hander to perhaps get Gary Williams to the Sweet 16. Uh, in 2008, uh, I was in Tampa, uh, and that was the only time in the history of the NCAA tournament that the team wearing dark uniforms won every game. All of the lower uh, seeds, uh, the teams that were, were not favored, with a bigger numeral next to their names, all advanced. Uh, and in that game, Ty Rogers of Western Kentucky hit a shot of about 35 feet to beat a 30-win Drake team. That um, that shocked a lot of people. And then Connecticut lost to San Diego right after that. And I'll never forget George Blaney uh, doing his best to to keep Jim Calhoun sane through the last five minutes of of that game. And gosh, there are so many others. Um, Terry Taylor, a kid from uh, from Creighton back in the early days. Dana Altman was still coaching, beat a second seeded Florida team that Billy Donovan had in Chicago. I think that was 03 or 02 uh, in an incredible game. He's wearing Michael Jordan's number at Michael Jordan's house in the United Center to win the game. Um, Iona in 1998 with Al McGuire uh, uh, had a buzzer beater uh, in Lexington uh, in the opening rounds. And then later, Al and I on that same tour uh, in the regional finals saw a Rhode Island team with a six-point lead lose it when Arthur Lee stole an inbounds pass and threw it to Mark the Mad Dog Madsen for a slam dunk and one, and they came from six down in less than a minute to beat them. And the next thing I saw was Al dancing with the Stanford tree as Mike Montgomery was riding off to his first Final Four. So, Andy, it was... um, you know, I had two different runs with the NCAAs. I um, I hosted the early rounds in the late 80s and early 90s with uh, John Saunders. We split up on that when it was still on ESPN, the early rounds. And then when I joined up at, um, at CBS in 1996, my first year, we were in Albuquerque. Uh, and you always knew you were uh, on the eighth team that just barely made the roster when they sent you to that region because – one of those games would be the lost game that only about 1.5% of the country would get uh, because we only had one carrier back then. And Oprah would be on the local stations, you know, at CBS stations across the country. But we had a game involving that night. I'll never forget it. Uh, Western Carolina uh, was playing Purdue. Purdue, Gene Katie had a number one seed. And until that time, Princeton's game against uh, Georgetown was the 16-1 game that came the closest. Well, we had a kid uh, from Western Carolina launch a three to win it, to beat Purdue, and it's a long rebound that he follows 
it's the iron unkind. Some people have said, where did the iron unkind come from? And it, it, and it really came from around the rim and out. But in that particular game, I got, I had saved up. I had not used it. I tried to only use the iron unkind once per game and maybe an iron kind where the ball hits the rim and bounces out. In this game, the kid shoots a three. It's online. Looks like they may win it. Long rebound. He follows it and he's still beyond the arc. Okay. And remember, the three point arc was still not, it was pretty close. The rebound was far enough out that he had another look. This time it hits the front iron. And bounces back out. Now he's got a two to tie it. He gets three shots and it goes around. And I used the iron unkind on a couple of those three shots and Purdue survived in advance. They lost in the next round to Georgia, but it was that game, the Catamounts of Western Carolina. All It's really one of the forgotten almosts of the 16 versus the ones. And that was in 96. And of course, I continued to do the tournament through 2013 for CBS. So it was a. Uh, it was a nice run of games and, a, and a, an enjoyable time in my life. But, you know, I look back on it now and I say, uh, I can remember all of those moments, all of those shots, just like Jack Nicholas could, you know, the final round of the Masters in 86, you know, so it's etched in my mind forever. You know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about all your partners. You know, I mean, <laughs> you've worked with the greats. I mean, from Al McGuire, Billy Packer, Billy Packer to Dick Vitale yeah. to... Uh, Raph, yeah. you know, Jimmy's coming along. Jimmy's doing great. I mean, mm-hmm. what's it been like to have these sidekicks, if you will, with you during this journey? Well, you learn a lot. My first game ever uh, that I did for ESPN was uh, Duke versus Virginia in January of 85. And I got the call late in 84, and they couldn't find anybody to do the Duke-Virginia game. Duke was number two in the country, and um, they're playing a Virginia team that was a year removed from a Final Four for Terry Holland. He still had... On his staff, Greenberg was the GA, uh, and he had um, Davey Odom and Jim Larinaga on his staff. Now, think about it. That's a long time ago. That's 34 years ago, 35 years ago. And um, I think that was my on-air audition, to be honest with you. And uh, at halftime of the game, I was on the my headphone talking to the producer, and Vital had left. And he's over at the other scoreboard on a landline. And he's like, go get Dick. We've got, we got to do this on camera. And I'm like what is he doing? He's on the phone. He says, oh, I know what he's doing. He's talking to Garf. I said, talking to Garf? He says, yeah, Howie Garfinkel. I said, what is he asking him? He's asking Garf if he sounds good. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm in my first show and Vital has already become, you know, sort of an icon. Uh, he was six years into the business at that point. And he's wondering from Garfinkel if, if we're sounding good together. So he came over and we, we finished the game. And I think Dick talked me up a little bit after that. And a lot more opportunities came my way. And then, you know, through through that opportunity came uh, the chance to work with Raft uh, at ESPN. And then when I got to CBS, um, it was at the time when CBS had lost the NFL. So they really needed some good young talent to come in because so many of them had left and gone to Fox. And... Uh, and they were also getting the Olympics. So Nance had to leave and go to Japan. And now I get to work with Bob Dicas and Bob Fishman, the number one crew with Billy Packer. And there, there is no bigger frick to Dick Vitale's frack than Billy Packer. <laughs> so to learn to adjust and on the fly to work with different people was sort of, uh, you know, I think my M.O. in my early days. And then when I got on the tournament regularly, it seemed that every year I was getting a different um, – color analyst. One year, Patino, in the midst of his coaching 
moves from Boston to the NBA to Louisville in the NCAA. Steve Shear, our lead producer at Fox now, we were in Dayton. We did the first play-in game ever between Winthrop and um, Northwestern State. In between, I believe you were there. You came in on a Friday to track Patino, whether he was going to go to Louisville or Michigan. You were hiding around the bushes in Dayton, Ohio, trying to follow him. And so it seemed like every time there was a, a, a change that was going to be, oh, I'll give it to Brando. You know, but, but still, it was so much fun. And uh, that time with Al McGuire, as much as I love Raft and I love Vital, I'll never forget a conversation I had. I had two years... Uh, with Al McGuire, and I, I called up Dick Inberg, who's one of my idols, and I said, um, "I said, Dick, I need to know because I've worked with all of these great guys, but I've never worked with Al." You know, he said, "Tim, I'm just going to say this once." He says, "I have great respect for you, but just remember this: all right, you're on a ride that only Al can take you on, and you just need to enjoy it." <laughs> and he was so right because. I think we were together for four weeks. We did a regular season game. Then we did the SEC tournament championship. Then we did, uh, you know, three weeks of games in the tournament to, to lead to the final four. And I learned more about life than I did about basketball. And Al didn't know the names of any of the players. And you would want it that way. You would want him. He would call Catino Mobley the cat. He would call, I think, the only kid for Rhode Island that he knew was Preston Murphy, who later became an assistant coach. But Mobley and Wheeler and, and all the other guys, they, they were like the big guy and the aircraft carrier and this and that. And, uh, but he knew these nuances about him. You know, he would get with the uh, trainers or the, the team managers and find out if a guy took one bounce and then a deep breath and maybe he wiped his brow before every free. Those kinds of things, are that was his homework. But you, you better know the names of every guy coming <laughs> when you were with Al. So it was... It was just a thrill to be with him and uh, a joyride. This is um, with Fox now my sixth year, and I'm concluding my 36th year working nationally, and it's been uh, four decades of fun, sheer fun. Last thing, Tim, this season, wide open. Um, some complaints about, you know, level of play and star power and all that. But as an announcer, how much is all we care about is a competitive game, down to the wire, <clears throat> players that are giving it their all versus yeah. whether or not they're superstars. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and maybe if that's a generational argument and I sound like a, a grumpy old man when I say it, then so be it. Uh, I want to see players expend all the energy they've got. I love the human floor burn approach to, to basketball, uh, especially when it's being played, you know, early or mid-season of the regular season. We all know that there are three lives of a college basketball season and two full semesters. There's the preseason, uh, the holiday tournaments, then there's the beginning of the regular season and the beginning of the postseason. Uh, I think we all understand that. And the level of play and the intensity is affected to some degree. But when you go to these campuses and the places are still raucous and it is about the front of the jersey's name, not the back of the jersey's name, uh, people say to me, Tim, you're 63, you've never sounded – uh, more passionate. That's because I, I've never been more passionate. I, and I think I enjoy uh, and am grateful for the moment now more than I was before. You know, when you're younger, you're always chasing the next thing. When you get older, you begin to appreciate what you have. And uh, I like to think that I do that now. And 
The other thing I loved about the way Fox goes about its business of calling basketball, college basketball, and that is that we're there for the game first. We're not there to promote what's uh, going to be no, – no disrespect to the Shield, right. but we're not there to promote you know, the NBA's game of the week. We're there to call a college basketball game, and, and I think that that's important. And uh, you know, the star power factor is, is, has been impacted, but – you know, I don't think that the fans that are in the stands or the fans that are tuning in at home care. I think they care about their team, what's going to happen with my team, and what are the prospects after this game for what's going to happen uh, to my team. We got a lot of issues in college basketball, uh, and I think the NCAA knows that, understands it, and is looking at, at ways to improve upon it. But if we don't cherish, you know, what we have, which is a great game that is determined by what happens on the floor, not what some blue ribbon panel is telling us subjectively needs to be happening in its postseason, then shame on us. We should be doing that. So um, that's that's why I feel the way I do about the game. And whenever somebody asks me, and you know my reputation in football, they'll say, okay, which do you like better? That's the question I get most. And I'm like, both. You know, I like them both the same. Um, but the thing that I love most about college basketball is that it follows a sport which happens to screw up its postseason as badly as any sport in American history. And college basketball gets its postseason correct. Well, Tim, one of the joys of my career, 30 years now, is working with people like you. So appreciate it, Tim. I remember Larry Donald telling me about you, you know, and Larry was to you at Basketball Times what uh, Kurt Gowdy and Dick Edinburgh were to me as broadcasters, and he was so right. And uh, your career path has been something that I've – Always enjoyed and cherished, and uh, we, we need more guys like you out there. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And now let's take a look at our Katz ranks, our top 10 of the week here at March Madness 365. The 10 teams that I don't think teams want to face come March. Let's start at number 10. San Diego State. A lot of teams around the country have not seen the Aztecs play. They're not quite sure how good this team is. Malachi Flynn played at Washington State. How good could he be? Well, he's leading the Aztecs to an undefeated season atop the Mountain West Conference. They defend, they find ways to win, and they can win home, road, neutral. I put them on my top 10. They're not number one, even though they could be a number one seed, but I think they're in the top 10 of teams that teams do not want to face because there's a lot of uncertainty, unknown aspects of facing the Aztecs. At number nine, a lot of people might think they should be higher. But I'm going with the Baylor Bears. Baylor defends. They can go man, go zone. They've got a big-time scorer in Jared Butler. The reason I didn't put them higher is I don't know yet if Baylor has that intimidating factor about them. And maybe that will grow. Maybe they will become that team where people fear. I don't sense that yet. There's a lot of respect for the Baylor Bears, but I don't know if that fear is there just yet. At number eight, the Oregon Ducks. Uh, Look, Peyton Pritchard is one of the big-time late-game shooters. He doesn't, though, send, as similar to to the Baylor situation, doesn't send fear when you see him. But tough to contain. I think a lot of guards think they can stop him or get past him. Not the case. He's a hard worker, and he leads his team. His team has had some injuries uh, inside, not as dominant as, as they've been. But... The Oregon Ducks have to be on this list. At number seven, West Virginia. Mountaineers, Oscar Shabway, 
Derek Culver. They've got one of the best front courts in the country. Guard play, though, can be a little erratic. Still, Bob Huggins, West Virginia, a lot of teams don't want to go against the Mountaineers. The way they play, how tough they play, they've got to be in this top ten. At number six, the Kansas Jayhawks. Look, when everyone's on the floor, Yudok Azubuke, Dave McCormick, very difficult to contain inside. Devon Dotson, obviously one of the best guards in the country. Marcus Garrett has certainly been uh, an unheralded guard for the Jayhawks. So they have to be on this list of a team a lot of teams don't want to face come March. At number five, Gonzaga. So the guards may not scare people, okay? Ryan Woldridge, Adam, uh, Admon Gilder, and Joel Ayayi. But inside, Philip Petrusev, he's been one of the best bigs this, this season. They've got great size. Killian Tilly, he's a tough matchup inside and out. And Corey Kispert plays as hard as any player in the country. He's a glue guy and a go-to guy. They're in my top five. At number four, Seton Hall. Maybe the player of the year, Miles Powell. They got Powell inside, excuse me, on the perimeter. They've got Romero Gill inside, who's become this rim protector finisher. They've got great moxie. They can finish around the basket with contact. And Miles Powell is a late-game player. And their role players have been sensational. I go with Seton Hall at number four. At number three, Florida State. Look, Florida State doesn't have a big-time star this season, but the Seminoles under Leonard Hamilton are consistently a tough matchup come March. Great length, athleticism. I don't know any coach that wants to go against Florida State in the NCAA tournament. At number two, moving way up on my list, Illinois. Here's the deal with the Illini. Kofi Coburn is massive. The dominant presence when he stays out of foul trouble. Georgie Bashanasvili, a tough matchup, especially extended from that corner from the lane or the elbow. Uh, very difficult matchup. On the perimeter, Ayo Desumu has become a big-time scorer for the Illini. Loves the moment, the late-game moment. Trent Frazier picks his spots, and this team's defending better. Brad Underwood has Illinois in a position where I think they're one of the toughest teams to face. Notice, I don't have Michigan State here, uh, which is kind of surprising. I picked to win the national championship in the preseason. But I don't think yet Michigan State has that intimidation factor of a team that teams don't want to face. Uh, that's not a slight to the Spartans. And I know people will be, how can Michigan State not be on this list? But I don't think that they're a team that is being feared just yet. Number one, it's Kentucky. Kentucky right now uh, is a team that a lot of teams don't want to face. Nick Richards is playing as well, if not better, than any big man in the country. Uh, he had an unbelievable 25-14 game with four blocks at Texas Tech, and he's making free throws. Ashton Hagens has become an anchor on the perimeter, an extension of John Calipari. Tyrese Maxey can go off. We've seen it this season where he can doesn't shy away from the big moment against a high-profile team. And Emmanuel quickly bought into his role as a compliment to Hagens. They got all the pieces. And I think when Kentucky comes, you get everyone's attention. And right now, I don't know how many teams want to face Kentucky. So that's my top 10 right now of teams that 
other opponents don't necessarily want to face come March. And I'm next here on March Madness 365. I was at the Minnesota-Michigan State game on Sunday for Fox Sports and after the game. Had a good chance to catch up with uh, Tom Izzo, discuss the state of affairs with the Michigan State basketball team, the preseason number one. Uh, right now tied as we're taping for first place in the Big Ten with Illinois. Uh, Coach, after a pretty solid win at Minnesota, uh, first road win in a while after what happened at Purdue, uh, at Indiana. I mean, how would you assess where this Michigan State team is almost halfway through the Big Ten? Well, I think we're all in trouble, if you want the truth. I mean, I just saw Minnesota play so good at Ohio State, and uh, today they couldn't buy a shot. You know, they had some looks the first half. It wasn't us, and we – felt like we did that at Indiana you know it seems like everybody's going through this period but to win on the road against a team that I really think is playing their best basketball right now coming off a big win uh, is a big win for us but like I said they had shot after shot that I swore was going in I told my guys every time out they'll make those shots we did do a good job on car put a lot into car Aturu is a great player but we're getting better. Um, I, I think you could still see where Cassius is. He looks tired, and, you know, he, we're not quite there. Xavier's getting better. I was really happy for Aaron Henry Gabe, and Rocket Watts because defensively they were very good. And Henry is, you know, I'm just trying to find the, uh, I call it the consistency button. And if I could find that and we got three of them, then the role players can play their roles and we could be a really good team. So put that in perspective. To win – a conference championship to win a national championship in this era. How much do you need your own version of a big three? Well, I think everybody needs it, you know, uh, you know, and, and we're all like missing it. Like culture is a kid for Minnesota. You know, they got car right now and they got two. Those two kids are as good as anybody in the league. You need one more. You know, we got Winston and we've got um, uh, Xavier, you know, but you need one more that has consistency that you can rely on every day. You know, like last year, we didn't have great scores, but McQuaid and and uh, Kenny Goins, they were consistent. We knew every day what they were giving us. So, uh, but I don't know if there's many teams in the country, Andy. I haven't seen many uh, that have it right now. I think we're all up for the same thing right now. I think there's so many teams that could win this league, and then there's so many teams that could still win a national championship. Yeah, I just want to delve on that real quickly, those last two things. The conference. You know, people thought I was crazy putting in 12 teams in this snapshot in time in the NCAA tournament, but 12 of the 14 were deserving at least. Now, I don't know if that would happen, could happen, but clearly the depth is there relative to the rest of the country, the ACC, the SEC. You know, they may not produce as many. You've been in this league for decades. How would you assess the depth? The way you said it, is that insulting that I'm old or what did you? <laughs> this is my 30th year. So <laughs> yeah, so you're old too. You know, I, I agree with you. I mean, we're going to beat the hell out of each other now because that's the time of year. You know, I said schedule's been kind of crazy. We played all those home games early. Some teams like this play road games. So it's been hard to get a feel where everybody is. But I think that any one of these teams, I mean, I don't want to play these guys again in the in the Big Ten tournament. I don't want to play, you know, I haven't played Ohio State yet. I've played Michigan. I haven't played Maryland yet. There's some good teams. You know, played Wisconsin. They played bad at our place. Then they played great. Then they set 18 threes. And then the next night they can't hit eight layups. You know, it's just been crazy. And I don't know why. I've got my thoughts. But uh, we're all looking for consistency. I bet you Richard tonight is saying, you know, 
how can I get those kind of open shots and not make them? Because I know those guys are good shooters, especially Willis and Culture. And uh, I'm saying that sometimes, uh, even with Cassius lately, you know. But tonight he played better, and when your best players play well, you get at least two and a half of them. That's what we had tonight. They had a Turu, you know, a card didn't play as well. I think that's the way it's going to be all over the country. And nationally. Uh, I mean, right now, I mean, how many teams could you say could win the title? Well, you know, we played uh, Gonzaga in an exhibition game. We played Kentucky. We've, we played Duke. Uh, we played Seton Hall. Um, those are some of the top 10 teams. And uh, I think they're all better than us. They're as good as us, but I think we're as good as some of them too. So I'd say all those are the same. I look out west. I look, I mean, seriously, I bet you there's 25 teams that have just as good a chance. You know, back in 2009, we played North Carolina in the beginning of the year. They beat us by 24. We played them in a championship game. They beat us by 20. They were head and shoulders above everybody. I don't see anybody in that shoes today, which is good and bad. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Now joining me here, March Madness 365, Hall of Fame head coach Jim Beheim of Syracuse. The Orange have won five in a row and certainly uh, have changed the narrative on their season. It's a marathon, so things certainly can change. And uh, Jim, what's been the biggest difference during this win streak? Well, it's it's really... uh... It's been just a little improvement in every area. It hasn't been necessarily one big thing. It's been, you know, we're a little bit smoother offensively. Our defense got a little bit better. Our rebounding definitely has gotten better. Uh, And, uh, you know, we've just been good down the stretch in games. And, uh, you know, we've played really well on the road, which is, uh, you know, hard to do in college basketball. to win uh, four straight league road games uh, is is really hard to do, and some tough places. Virginia Tech's tough. Notre Dame's a tough place, and uh, to win in those places has been uh, uh, Virginia. Obviously, has been real tough. We haven't won there until this year, so uh, they've really come together and played really well as a team. And uh, it's just been a little bit of improvement in every area, not necessarily one area. Yeah, it really was remarkable because you guys don't lose often at home, and you lost those two games to Notre Dame and Virginia Tech, and then that next game uh, is when you started to turn things in that win at Virginia. What, what and, and those games were close, obviously, but what, what what did you notice maybe even the difference between that home loss to Virginia Tech and then when you guys went to Charlottesville a few days later? You know, we just made some plays uh, in both games at the end, in the overtime in Virginia. We, you know, we scored 20 points against Virginia in five minutes. We, we usually don't score 20 points uh, against Virginia in 20 minutes. So, uh, it was exceptional. I think that kind of got us going and we played well at Virginia Tech, led by most of the game. Uh, still hung out at the end. Notre Dame, we led a lot, but we, kind of hung out again at the end of that game, but we just played a little bit better in both games. I think at home, we played pretty well against Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. They made some incredible shots uh, to beat us, and, uh, you know, sometimes that happens. Uh, we played equally well in the road and home games, but they just made some incredible plays at the end of both games to beat us, but uh, we're much better overall now than we were uh, in, in those games, and in the, from the beginning of the year, we're a much, much better team. From the beginning of the year, we were not very good defensively or rebounding, and 
uh, we have improved in those areas. Yeah, I mean, I was there for that opener against Virginia, and uh, clearly, I mean, you guys weren't, you're not even the, close to the same team right now. And I know point guard was a question at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, how do, how do you feel that has settled at this juncture? Well, George Bond has given us a guy that can score. He's been very good with the ball. He hasn't turned it over. He's made it's a good assist turnover ratio, uh, but he gives you a threat. We have three guys that can shoot the ball from the three point line, and um, they're really pretty consistent from there. And that uh, is something you need in college basketball today. They can change a lot of things. And and because our shooting has been good, I think our inside play has gotten better. We've been able to get more looks inside, and we've converted them inside. So, you know, we're just a better overall team. Uh, with you know, when you're starting no seniors. When you're starting, uh, you know, those four starters and you're starting a freshman point guard and our best player off the bench is a freshman, um, you know, it's going to take a while. And uh, I think we thought that in the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, now we're, we're playing pretty, at a pretty high level. Well, I think we can still get a little better and we're going to have to get better as we go down the stretch here. How do you think Elijah Hughes and your son, Buddy, um, have evolved into their roles of Elijah being, you know, that go-to scorer and a leader and, and your son being that reliable uh, shooter. Well, my son can shoot it, but he also has gotten better at getting into the lane, making plays. He scored a lot of twos. He didn't make a three in Notre Dame. He made five twos, which he couldn't do early in the year. So uh, he's balanced his game out, uh, which has made him a better player. That's a better team. Elijah Hughes has been there all year. He's been one of the best players in the country. Uh, one of the few players that averages almost 20 points a game, five rebounds, four assists per game. There's not been many guys in the last 20 years in college basketball that have done that. Uh, I think he's a little bit overlooked, um, but he's a very, very good basketball player. And this week ahead at Clemson and then hosting Duke, uh, what needs to go well for Syracuse to have a good week? Everything. You know, we have to play at a high level. Clemson's won beat Duke and North Carolina this year. And uh, very good team, very good at home, and uh, a tremendous challenge for us. And Duke, obviously, is one of the best teams in the country. So it's a great big week, and we're looking forward to it. Jim, I've been doing this now, believe it or not, 30 years. You've been doing it longer than I have. And I can't remember a year where it just feels as wide open as it is right now nationally. How do you assess the national landscape? It's completely wide open. Uh, I think Michigan State's a great team, and they lost to Virginia Tech and lost to some other teams, uh, and I think they're the best team in the Big Ten. But uh, it doesn't matter who you are, you can lose. Uh, I think uh, certainly Gonzaga looks very strong to me at this stage. Uh, I think uh, Baylor has really been good. And obviously Kansas and Duke, those teams kind of stand out a little bit, but they're all beatable, I think, as well. So, and the middle is so good. You know, we have three teams in the top 10 in our league, which is about what we had last year, but the middle and bottom of our league is much better. If you look at our league, BC, Wake Forest, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, Notre Dame, uh, are all better than they were last year. So, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, go right down the list. Uh, so I, I think our team, our teams are a lot better than people are think, thinking they are right now. Uh, I think the depth of the league is better. We, and we still have a couple top teams with Duke, Florida State, 
um, and Louisville. There's, there all three of those teams could be number one seeds in the tournament by the end of the year. And Jim, before I let you go, um, I just want to get your thoughts on you know coaching uh, Kobe Bryant uh, multiple times uh, with USA Basketball. I know you've known him for quite some time. It's just an unspeakable tragedy that occurred uh, on yes. Sunday. Um, it we, is, and we're everybody's in shock. Uh, the whole basketball world. Uh, Kobe impressed me more than any player I've ever worked with, with an unbelievable determination to be the the best in every day. Every day, not just the best, but the best every day. Uh, a lot of people try to do that, but very few do. Uh, he came in when we lost the world championship and getting ready to qualify. He showed the young players, this is what you have to do. This is what hard work is. And, of course, we won the qualifier the next year we won the Olympics. And the only play we had to have in the Olympics was against Spain, and Kobe Bryant made the play uh, that won the game. And that's what he was. He wanted to make that play. But he set the tone for LeBron and all of our players. This is what you have to do if you want to be good. And uh, we never lost a game again after Kobe came with us and I think set kind of set the standard for what it takes. He, he was a tireless worker uh, in the summertime preparing for a game like it was the, you know, the most important thing in the world, which it was to him. And that resonated with me. Um, and still does to this day. Uh, uh, remarkable will to win. Uh, Jordan and Kobe, I think, are the two that that I've seen in my lifetime that have that tremendous will to win. Jim, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And now joining me on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. It's what we like to call March Chadness as uh, he challenges me on my picks from last week and we look ahead to this upcoming week. Chad, how did I do last week? Yeah, Andy, you're coming off a red hot nine in three weeks. So naturally, you could expect a little bit of a drop off. You didn't do bad. You went six and six in a pretty wacky week. Uh, you went two and oh in Butler's games, correctly predicting a loss at Nova and then correctly predicting a home win over Marquette. Uh, Overtime. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was a crazy shot to tie the game in regulation. Uh, Penn State picked up a road win at Michigan. Oregon escaped in double overtime against USC. Auburn edged Iowa State and then Kansas top Tennessee, but you were 0-2 on Illinois games, Andy. I know. They won at Purdue and Michigan. Huge week for your team of the week. Uh, A tough week for Michigan, as we just said. IU, they would end up splitting the week. You know, you you correctly predicted that, except you picked the wrong game they would win and lose. (laughs) Yes. Brutal. And then... You know, you pick the home team in the biggest games with Texas Tech, you know, against Kentucky and then Florida against Baylor. And then both of them let you down. So, I mean, what, what's your what are your thoughts on those picks? So my thoughts are that, first of all, the Texas Tech-Kentucky game was in overtime. Uh, so it could have gone either way. Uh, Illinois, I, I just had more faith in Purdue at home, you know, because they had obviously just played very well, you know, against Michigan State the previous week. Uh, Michigan, I just figured at some point they were going to snap out of this and they did not. And they're still having problems. So uh, Illinois has proven that uh, they've got staying power and they are legitimately in the race to win the Big Ten. They're tied with Michigan State, our team of the week, as you mentioned. So I'm not, uh, I I don't, 
you know, I, I think there's no shame in picking against them this past week. But now they've proven they can win on the road on a consistent basis. Yeah. Let's jump into this week, Andy. Tuesday night, Florida State at Virginia. Uh, FSU, they won by four at home last time these teams met. Are they going to be able to get the season sweep here? This is a tough one um, because, you know, Virginia had to go to overtime to beat Wake. Uh, Here's my deal. Even though it's at Virginia and they will, you know, and have flustered Florida State, this is now where I have faith. And Virginia, their ability to score is a problem that's not going away. Uh, And against Florida State's length, you know, they're not able to shoot over it. So I'm going to stick with the Seminoles here. I'm going against the reigning champs. I really don't think they're an NCAA tournament team. they got so much work to do. I am going with Florida State. Yeah, that game was just so close the first time around. Kind of ugly, low scoring, you know, a lot of defense. I could see it going the other way this time around now that it's back at Virginia. Uh, but Wednesday night, let's look at West Virginia and Texas Tech. So over the weekend, Bob Huggins, he tied Adolph Rupp for seventh on the all-time wins list. After a trip for Lubbock, will he have sole possession of seventh? Whew. You know, I have a hard time going against Texas Tech twice at home. Um, you know, I as, as high as I am on West Virginia, I just can't see Texas Tech losing back-to-back home, like monster home games. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Red Raiders here. Yeah, I like that pick. West Virginia will have another chance for Bob Huggins on Saturday against Kansas State at home. A little bit easier. Now Thursday night we've got Iowa at Maryland. Jalen Smith was in the conversation for Player of the Week. Uh, we ended up going with Nick Richards, but after earning that first win at Assembly Hall since they joined the Big Ten, can Maryland keep the momentum going? Uh, I would say yes. Um, I'm back on the Terps bandwagon. I, I think this is a Maryland team that you know, finally sort of woke out of their funk uh, because even at home, you know, they had to sort of scrape by to beat Purdue. So, uh, you know, they, they'd been such a horrible road team and a great home team. And then some of these problems were, you know, were, were there on both home and road. But it feels like last week sort of is that breakthrough, the way in which they, the second half they played against Northwestern to win that. And then, you know, the uh, the win at Indiana and the manner in which they won it. I think this is now going to turn the narrative for Maryland this season. All right, now let's jump ahead to Saturday, the first Saturday in February. In the noon hour, you've got Creighton at Villanova. Creighton checked in at number 30 in your power 36 after being unranked. Can they give Villanova a run for it here? Well, they can. Uh, Villanova went into Omaha a few weeks ago and won. Uh, you know, I, I just don't see this. I, I think Villanova at home... We'll be able to beat Creighton, get that season sweep, which will ultimately be a decider, you know, in the, in the Big East seedings for the Big East tournament, uh, if they are close and, and they could be. Uh, but I, I like Villanova at home. Um, you know, Villanova's played a lot of close games, but uh, I, I just don't see Creighton being able to, to steal this one in Philly. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of season sweeps, Michigan State's got a chance to get one against Wisconsin, but they'll be on the road. Will we get the sweep or will the Badgers get revenge? I got more faith in the Spartans after seeing them in person Sunday. Um, you know, Wisconsin can lose at home now. It's It's been done, and they have, and Illinois beat them there. You know, they're okay. They're not as good, and I, I just, this is a feeling that um, Wisconsin's going to, 
win enough to get into the NCAA tournament, but they're not going to compete for the Big Ten title. It's going to be between Michigan State and Illinois uh, with Maryland trailing a little just because I think Maryland took on a little bit too much water. So I'm going to go with Michigan State to get the season sweep of Wisconsin. Yeah, I agree. I was a little hesitant at first. You know, Michigan State lost at Purdue, lost to Indiana, but they ended up winning at Minnesota. You get a nice road W there. So I, I do have a little bit more faith with them on the road here. Now we got Louisville at NC State. The Wolfpack have a chance to make a big statement in the ACC. Can they take advantage of this opportunity? Yeah, I'm going to say they will. Um, you know, as good as Louisville has been lately by taking care of business, essentially, and especially coming off that Duke win. And I know Louisville fans, be, oh, you don't always pick us. Uh, but this, I think, is a desperation game for NC State. NC State, uh, you know, feels like they're on the wrong side of the bubble right now. And uh, they're going to need a marquee win. Uh, obviously, they got games against Duke. But uh, this certainly would be one of those games, if they get it, that's going to change their direction, potentially, for the NCAA tournament. And so I think uh, Kevin Keats will have his guys ready for what I think will be, you know, a, a marquee win for them this season. Yeah, I could see it, but I, I think I would go with Louisville here, especially after, I mean, you didn't pick them against when they were at Duke. I think I'd definitely go Louisville now, especially with NC State coming off a disappointing loss to Georgia Tech. No, I know that's why I'm, I'm looking for... I mean, this would be an upset special, no question about it. And I'm looking for a game in which, you know, we could argue and say, okay, this is a uh, this is a desperation game. You got to get it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is the one I'm looking at. Okay, we'll see what happens later that afternoon. You've got Texas Tech at Kansas. Tough week for Texas Tech. Um, The Big 12 schedule just doesn't get any easier for them. Do they have any chance at shocking Kansas on the road? Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, you know, Texas Tech, if they can get the West Virginia win and split this week, you know, that that's a good week for them. They, they will. I, I just do not see them beating the Jayhawks. Uh, Kansas at home is just a different animal. So I, I, I don't see it. All right. Now let's look at Rutgers and Michigan. Michigan's lost five in a row. Is there any chance they can snap the streak or will Rutgers look for a big win away from home? Uh, look, it is away from home. Technically. It's at Madison Square Garden. This is what uh, the Big Ten does every year. They have the Super Saturday. There's going to be wrestling earlier in the day. Uh, so you're going to have grapplers and then uh, the cagers will come in. And uh, uh, I think Rutgers right now is just playing so well. Geo Baker has been a, a late game player for them. Uh, earlier in the week, they're going to play Purdue at home, sell out crowd at the rack. I think the rack will transfer to Michigan to, to Madison Square Garden. And even though technically Michigan's home game, and there are a ton of Michigan alums in the New York area, this will feel like the rack, you know, in Manhattan. And uh, there's something just askew with Michigan right now. I, I think you know, I, you never would have thought that you would say this a year, you know, a year ago, but. Rutgers should win this game. Uh, they're the better team right now. Uh, let me say this. I don't know if I would have said this, obviously, in November uh, and you know, late November, early December, when we were talking about Michigan as one of the best teams in the country after winning for the battle for Atlantis. So right now, Rutgers is the better team. I'm going with Rutgers. Yeah, exciting times for Rutgers basketball. Now let's jump over to the Pac-12. You've got four teams all tied with two losses at the top of the standings. Oregon and Stanford are two of those teams. So who do you see getting a win here to kind of separate the pack a little bit? Oregon's just the better team. You know, Stanford lost to Cal over the weekend. Stanford has the good numbers to be an NCAA tournament team. But uh, even though Terrell Terry's having an outstanding season for the Cardinal um, and they defended well overall, 
but they're they're one of those teams, Chad, that we're going to look at and say, wait a minute, you know, how good are they? Yet their seeding may be a little higher based on their you know net ranking because they've they've just been had they've there's always one of those teams that plays the numbers well of who they beat, where they beat them, and uh, that's Stanford. They're not going to intimidate you. They're not all airport, uh, but Oregon's the better team, and I think Oregon's going to win. Yeah, I agree with that pick. Stanford did not look good in that game against Cal. Uh, Kentucky at Auburn. As if Auburn fans needed any extra juice, college game day will be on hand for this SEC battle. So who you got? All right, so I keep picking against Kentucky, (laughs) but I'm going to do it here. I just think that Bruce is going to have his guys jacked up. Uh, As you said, college game day will be there. Um, You know, they've struggled, obviously, on the road in the SEC. Auburn has. Uh, They've been outstanding at home. And, uh, you know, Kentucky does lose SEC road games. We saw that at South Carolina. They had to um, hold off a late surge from Arkansas. So, uh, I would, you know, I don't think it'd be crazy to pick against Kentucky in this instance. And so I will. I'm going with... um, I'm going with Auburn. Sure. Yeah, Kentucky has proven they can play in those hostile environments with that win over Texas Tech. But yeah, I agree. Auburn wins at home. Now, later that night, Duke at Syracuse. After a slow start of the season, Syracuse currently sits in fourth place in the ACC after rattling off five straight wins. Is there any chance they can uh, shock Duke here? They can. um, And they are surging. And I did rank Syracuse um, because they've won five in a row and you know, you got to reward teams that are actually playing well right now. But they're beating up on the bottom of the ACC. So they're winning games right now that they need to win. The question is, can Syracuse beat teams that it needs to beat uh, to get in the tournament? And in the ACC, that means Louisville, Florida State, and Duke. Mm-hmm. And I'm not convinced they can. Uh, you know, if Vernon Carey has a Vernon Carey-type game, I don't think Syracuse, Syracuse has anyone that can match him. And so I'm going with Duke to win this game on the road. Yeah, I like that pick. Yeah, Syracuse in that in that five-game streak, their best win was, what, at Virginia? Decent win, but yeah, right. the rest of those teams were not very good. Uh, Sunday, the last game we'll give you, Illinois at Iowa. Illinois red hot right now. But Iowa's been lights out at home, so who comes away with the win? All right, have I learned my lesson here? Um, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to go with Illinois. As good as Iowa has been at home, uh, I just like the overall guard play of Illinois better. Uh, Luca Garza is going to have to deal with Georgie Bashanishvili and Kofi Coburn, and he may still get his 22 and 10. But um, I'm going to go with Illinois uh, after not picking them twice on the road last week. I will pick them on the road at Iowa. Yeah, I actually like that pick. Luca Garza, yeah. Normally, he's they have an advantage down low with him, but Illinois can match up really well defensively against him. Uh, Andy, here's a little bonus you know, recap. San Diego State, last week you said they would go undefeated in the regular season, uh, but they did have a scare at UNLV. So this week they go on the road to New Mexico and then return home against Utah State. Not an easy week in the Mountain West. Are you sticking with your initial prediction, or could we see an upset? I'm going to stick with my prediction because New Mexico right now is just in a chaotic state. They've had injuries and suspensions. And, you know, I I would say when I saw New Mexico beat Wisconsin in November, that team, which was whole at the time, uh, I would have said, okay, that team could beat, you know, San Diego State uh, at the pit in a home game. Right now, don't see it. 
I think San Diego State's playing too well, too confident, defending at such a high clip. I say they get that game and they get the season sweep of Utah State. So San Diego State remains undefeated in what should be probably their hardest remaining week of the regular season. All right. Fun week ahead, Andy. We will revisit all these picks next week. Awesome, Chad. As always, appreciate it. And you can find our podcast wherever you download podcasts. Uh, and, of course, on all our social media handles on Twitter, Facebook, NCAA.com. For Chad Acock, I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening.